Today, we start a new sermon series on Ephesians, and uh, Ephesians is considered by John Calvin to be the, the royal, if you will, jewel of all the letters of Paul that you can find in the New Testament. Uh, and there have been countless other biblical scholars, theologians, pastors uh, who have come to that same belief and conviction. This book is so helpful because it does put a doctrinally comprehensive yet really concise handle on the gospel. Uh, you know, it, it goes into adequate amount of detail without overwhelming. And so uh, Paul does an excellent job with it. I think that one of the reasons why this letter is such a tour de force uh, amongst all his letters is it's one of the ones he wrote while in house arrest in Rome. And under house arrest, uh, I think he had the adequate amount of time and the right circumstances, if you will, to really think through how he was plotting this letter together. And so as you read through it, keep it in mind that this is not a man on the go. This is a man that his circumstances have somewhat uh, held him in captivity in a house in Rome and therefore he's getting lots of time to pray and ponder what he's writing. We're going to read the first two verses of this book and that's going to open up our introduction for today. Okay, so here now the reading of God's word as it comes from Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 through 2. This letter is from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be found pleasing and acceptable unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last spring, Pastor Joshua and the four teenagers who went through the confirmation course studied the letter of Ephesians on a daily and weekly basis. And Pastor Joshua shared with me after they had gone through that 10-week study on Ephesians that for himself, for his fellow confirmation leader, Betsy Billis-Hill, and for the four students, it added so much understanding of the gospel because it so strongly emphasized and explained the gospel that they all were able to understand more clearly that the gospel is not about what we do, but it's about what God has done graciously for us. Well, when he shared how important that study had been uh, with himself and those students and his uh, co-leader, Betsy, 
I felt like this is a study we should do together as a congregation. And so uh, I started the planning of doing this for the fall. The Apostle Paul equates the New Testament term of grace, which comes from a Greek word charis, with the Old Testament term for grace, which is a Hebrew word called hesed. And you've heard me talk about hesed before. Hesed, in my opinion, is one of the most important Old Testament words, and it definitely is the foundation of the word grace we have in the New Testament. Um, the best definition that I have ever heard read of Hesed comes from Michael Card, who actually has written an entire book, well over 200 pages, on this one word, Hesed. Uh, and his definition was, when I receive everything from the one from whom I should expect nothing. When I receive everything from the one from whom I should expect nothing. That is Hesed. And what we will discover as we read Ephesians is that Paul considers grace to mean when God bestows undeserved and superabundant blessings on people. And the gospel, Christ sacrificed for our sins on the cross so that we might have eternal life, definitely would be well described as a divine act of grace or hesed. In the gospel, we receive everything, though we deserve nothing. Allow me to share a little background about the author of this letter. The Apostle Paul plants a church in Ephesus during his third missionary journey. He spends over two years with the Ephesian church, which is the longest amount of time he spent with any of his church plants. And the long stay, we find out, was necessary as Paul was helping newly converted Jews and newly converted Gentiles to learn how to get along together as they started a church together. Uh, if you read about Paul's experience in Ephesus, you can do that in Acts chapter 19 through 20. You will discover there was a lot of conflict and controversy uh, he had to overcome to get this church established. Uh, what happens, though, when you stay in one place for such a long period of time, a little over two years, and you work through with people lots of controversy and lots of conflict, well, what happens is you end up having a very precious relationship with those people that you've been working so intensely with. And we understand that this happens for Paul and the elders of that church. And if you were to read Acts chapter 21, when Paul has an opportunity to spend a few days later in his third missionary journey with the Ephesus elders, it is an emotional and tearful 
exchange between one another. Because you see, they fear that they may never see Paul again. Everybody is feeling as though the, the Jewish leadership is on the verge of arresting him, and they fear that that is going to mean the martyrdom of his life. Paul ends up being arrested in Jerusalem several months after that tearful exchange with the elders in Ephesus. He ends up about a year after that, after being arrested in Jerusalem, in Rome under house arrest. You see, Paul was essentially arrested for being a troublesome person to the Jewish and Roman leadership. At this point, the Jews are actually more annoyed with Paul, but since Paul happens to be a Roman citizen, the Jews are not able to uh, bring about any sort of judicial punishment upon Paul without the approval of Caesar. And so uh, the Jewish leadership from Jerusalem is serving as the prosecutors of Paul, and Paul is representing himself in front of Caesar there in Rome and uh, providing his own defense. Now, Caesar is not in a hurry to get this trial going for a lot of reasons, probably political more than anything else, and trying to keep peace in Jerusalem. So Paul actually is sitting and waiting for trial in Rome for somewhere between 18 months to two years. And so he's under house arrest, um, and uh, you know he decides that this is a good time to check in with some of the churches that he has planted, and one of them being Ephesus. He wants to write them. Now, uh, as he writes this letter, we pick up on the reality that he is believing that the Christians in Ephesus are doing the best job that they can. Um, but he is also very sensitive to the fact that the old controversies and conflicts in his absence could be rising up again. And so he wants to impress upon the Ephesian Christians the following. Through God's grace, you have been given a new life as you have been filled with the Spirit. Live that new life under the guidance and the power of the Spirit within you. Now, for those of you in the congregation this morning who enjoy reading biblical doctrine, let me tell you that the first three chapters of Ephesians is going to be very, very enjoyable to you. Uh, Paul teaches a doctrinal tour de force on how through faith in Jesus, we have been raised to an exalted position with Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, essentially, in these first three chapters, he's, he's going to try to say to the Ephesian church, I don't think you understand really how much of a difference your faith in Christ has made in your life. And I want to make sure you pick up on that. Now, for those of you uh, who like the more practical biblical teaching on 
how to live well in relationships with other human beings, then chapters four through six are really going to be your eye candy. Okay? Uh, Paul emphasizes that we are now called by Christ to live our lives as he lived when he was carrying out his ministry here on earth, and that Christ continues his work here on earth through how we live our lives. So chapters 4 through 6, that's what Paul is really going to be emphasizing. Hey, the life you're living gives opportunity for Jesus to continue to make his impact here on earth. Now, here is even some more detail about the background of Paul, who we read in Acts was originally named Saul. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Saul. Saul grew up in a Roman city known as Tarsus. And that was a very cosmopolitan city. And he grew up there through the childhood to early adolescence. Um, Tarsus and Ephesus have probably a lot of similarities to them. Uh, for one thing, they both are very multicultural, multi-ethnic cities. And so Saul learned how, when he was growing up, to get along with multitudes of different kinds of Gentiles. And he comes now to Ephesus when, during his third missionary journey and probably discovers, wow, Ephesus feels a lot like Tarsus. Now, we believe Saul had very wealthy Jewish parents, and here's why we believe that. You weren't only considered a Roman citizen if you happened to be born in a certain city that was under Roman rule, uh, especially if you came from a bloodline that was not Roman, like Saul did, you had to also pay a high fee to become a Roman citizen. And so the only way Saul and his parents would have been considered Roman citizens is if they were likely to have paid that high fee. We also think that Saul had wealthy parents because when he became an adolescent, probably somewhere around 13, 14 years of age, he was actually shipped to Jerusalem to study in the most revered rabbinical school in all of Jerusalem under the teaching of Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was the most highly regarded rabbi. And it's thought that Saul would not have probably been accepted into this school unless two things. His parents were very wealthy, and secondly, it was apparent that his parents had raised him as a fundamentalist Jew. Those two things are likely to have gained access for Saul into the rabbinical school of Gamaliel. And make no mistake about it, Saul was going to study under the most famous rabbi in all of Jerusalem because his parents had him on a fast track to becoming a renowned Pharisee. And Saul sure did follow that fast track to pharisaical stardom. In fact, early on in his pharisaical uh, career, 
he was given as a young Pharisee a highly important mission to go to Damascus and arrest or kill anyone associated with this new movement called the Way, which were those who were followers of Jesus Christ. Then, as he was going along the road to Damascus, Jesus interrupted Saul's life, literally knocking him off his high horse with a blinding light. Now, over the course of several days, Saul died spiritually, and God raised up Paul, who was not only called unto salvation through faith in Christ, but who was now called to take the good news about Jesus to the Gentile world. This is why in the very first verse of Ephesians, Paul states that he was chosen to become an apostle for Jesus Christ. Through Christ confronting Saul on the road to Damascus, it's absolutely true that Saul was chosen by God. And the word apostle describes that Paul understood himself from that day on to be a sent one. A sent one. That's what apostle means. Now, in Paul's introduction, we draw a right interpretation when we understand that he has a strong belief in the sovereign will of God, having been demonstrated in the life-changing interruption that occurred for him. Essentially, Paul sees himself as having been handpicked as an ambassador for Christ to the Gentiles. Paul then addresses his letter recipients by labeling them in two very profound ways. He labels his letter recipients as holy and as faithful followers of Christ Jesus. Now, some Bible versions use the word saint instead of holy. Whether your Bible version reads as saint or holy, Paul is labeling the Ephesian church members as being set apart from the world. They are not set apart in some sort of manner where they are to live without interaction with the world. However, what Paul is indicating is that they are not to live like the world. They, as followers of Jesus Christ, now are to live differently from the world. Paul labels them as faithful followers of Christ Jesus because based on his own relationship with them and the reports that he has been hearing, they are putting forth an effort to be obedient to the example and teachings of Jesus Christ. Paul knows and hears of this church making the effort to live as obedient followers of Jesus. Adhering to his example he left and adhering to his teachings. After identifying himself and his audience receiving this letter, Paul writes what is common, a common greeting in most of his letters. 
He asks for God the Father's and the Lord Jesus Christ's blessing of grace and peace to rest upon the Ephesian church. In Ephesians, Paul does an excellent job of developing why he so desires the blessing of grace and peace to rest upon the Ephesians. And honestly, any of us who are reading the letter are going to be blessed by his understanding of the importance of grace and peace in the Christian's life. Paul will put a powerful spotlight on grace in the first three chapters. He will tell us that God has offered us as sinners undeserved divine favor, most profoundly through the plan of salvation. We don't deserve this grace of God's favor because we can't ever earn it. We simply are required to receive it by faith. In chapter 2, we will read about the peace that has been brought to humanity by Christ's life and death and resurrection. It's a peace we can know with God and with fellow believers. It's a peace that is not only meant to bring us personal joy in our relationships, but it is a peace that is meant to assist us in being ambassadors for Christ in the world. For the church to be most effective, it must operate in peace with one another. So that whether we are Gentile or Jew, we are united with God and one another in our efforts to reach more and more people with the proclamation of the gospel. I sincerely pray that all of us will take seriously spending the time necessary to work through the devotional guides we have provided for you today. Pastor Joshua worked very hard to create this devotional booklet, uh, believing that we need to spend well beyond just Sunday morning giving this book our attention. On the back side of the cover, um, right here on the inside cover of the back, uh, there is a sticker of a cross with the words, by grace through faith. And that's taken from Ephesians 2, verse 8. Then that might be the most famous verse in all of this entire letter. And, oh, by the way, uh, with this devotional on a weekly basis, we're asking you to memorize a verse of Scripture. Uh, and we're doing that because when we memorize Scripture in our minds, it has an opportunity to work its way into our hearts. And when it works its way into our hearts, it changes who we are. But I want you to take this sticker and uh, put it on your favorite water bottle, uh, or uh, you can adhere it on the cover of your Bible. But I want this sticker to be a reminder to you throughout the next several months um, that we are saved by grace through faith. And it's by the work of Christ on the cross. Well, that's the introduction. And I hope that you are now uh, more intrigued to learn more about this author, Saul, who became Paul, who planted the church in Ephesus, 
who understood what it was to grow up in a very cosmopolitan city, and now he plants a church in an equally cosmopolitan city, and that you look at this letter as being a profound description of doctrinally, in the first three chapters, God's grace, and in the last three chapters, the practicality of how we then live with God and each other and the world after we have received such grace. Let us pray. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would inspire us day by day over the next three months to really have a hunger and a thirst to uh, consume this letter from the Apostle Paul, to memorize verses, to meditate upon them, to pray certain truths about what Paul is saying into our lives so that we believe as we ought to believe and so that we live as we ought to live. I pray, oh God, that this letter at this time in our life is truly life-changing for each and every one of us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.